We want to continue the Gratitude Path series today. This is our third week looking at this. The book is The Gratitude Path by Kent Millard. It's sort of our textbook, our background to all that we're thinking about in worship over these Sundays. This is stewardship time. We're calling it a gratitude campaign because that's where most of our focus is. So it's not an attempt to sneak stewardship in. I don't think that would be very helpful or very honest, but it's a It's been good for me to think about Thanksgiving these weeks with you, and we'll continue to do that for a few more weeks. We're going to talk specifically about giving today, about tithing, about that first 10% that belongs to God and why that is and some other things. But we will also recap a little bit and catch you up to where we are in case you've not been here these last couple of weeks. Our scripture lesson for today, and we have two of them. The second one is actually just one verse. But the first one is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 1. Second Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Now it is not necessary for me to write you about the ministry to the saints. For I know your eagerness, which is a subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then Jesus' own words from Luke's gospel, chapter 6 and verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the word of God for the people of God. Two weeks ago, we started by talking about just say thank you. The story was from Luke's gospel once again, and it had to do with the ten lepers. That story we've heard since we were little ones in Sunday school, a lot of folks have, and how ten were healed and only one came back to say thank you. And we talked a little bit about how when we were younger, perhaps, and someone gave us a gift, and we just sat there like we had run out of words, And our parents had to push us in the back or nudge us a little bit or maybe twist our ear and say, just say thank you. It's that simple. Just say thank you. And how often we forget as we make our way through this life on this journey. Just say thank you. And then last week we talked about giving thanks in all circumstances. We shared some stories from Tony Campolo and others about the Holocaust and the difficult circumstances people had lived through. And the way folks, some folks, sort of would sneak out at night and slide water and bread through the slots in the boxcar so that folk would have a little something to eat. And how terrible that was. And I was thinking last night, watching some news from Pittsburgh, from 
the Tree of Life synagogue in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood and the gathering of folks there after this tragedy and the songs of praise, the ancient songs of praise and thanksgiving. How do you give thanks in the face of something so awful and so tragic? Today, we're going to talk about give and it will be given to you. Specifically, stories, concepts about this whole concept of tithing, about giving the first 10%, the first fruits, the very best we have to God, not the leftovers. Trusting God with that. And in the book, Kent Millard tells several stories about this. And he tells his own personal story about how he and his wife made that decision. That's what they would do and how they did that all of their married life and the difference it made. And I want to share with you some of my thoughts about giving and about tithing and about how it's played out and continues to play out in my life and in my life together with Mickey and the difference that giving can make. So let's start with a story that has been around for a while. Uh, Those of you who have preached or spoken before know this story and, and probably the rest of you do too, but I like the story. It's about a man who in the early days of his career had made a decision to tithe. He was going to give 10% of his income to the church. And in those days, he was making about $50 a week. So $5 was no big deal. But time passed by, and he did well in his career. And the time came when he was making about $4,000 a week. And he called his pastor and said, we need to talk. And so the pastor went out to his beautiful home and they sat on the deck out back overlooking the pool and the, and the manual, what am I trying to say, the, the lawn looked so good, the yard looked so good, looking out over the, yeah, that, that's it. And, uh, <laughs> and they sat there and they talked and, uh, about everything and then they finally got around to it and the guy said, well, listen, pastor, I've got a problem here. He said, uh, when I started this tithing business, I was making $50 a week and $5 was no big deal. So, okay, but now I'm making $4,000 a week. $400 is a big chunk of that. And I want to know if I can be released from my promise, released from my obligation. And the pastor said, well, I don't think we can do that. You made a promise to God. He said, but i tell you what we can do. Let's kneel down here and pray together. And I'll ask that God would reduce your income. (laughs) To the point where you can get $5 a week again. (laughs) What Lyle Schaller was a well-known church consultant died a few years back when I was coming through school and all. He was sort of the guru of church finance and church administration. And some of you know that name. He said, tithing is God's way of using our money, just enough of our money, to pray over how we spend the rest. If we can tithe to God and use our money in that way, then it really causes us to pray over how we spend the rest. And that's not a bad thing, is it? We are talking about giving. I know that's difficult for some folks, and at one time it was for me until I Realize that there is such great joy in being able to give and to bless others and to empower your church. That why would I not share that story? Because there's so many folk who go through this life and they never know that joy. 
They never know the joy. Some folks give till it hurts. Others give till it feels good, till it makes a difference and till it blesses others. So let's think about that for a little bit in terms of gratitude. Gratitude, Thanksgiving has been called a memory of the heart or Webster's simple definition, simply giving thanks. Gratitude, Thanksgiving is more than a feeling, though feelings are important. We have to acknowledge that and think about that. It's more than words, though I certainly believe in the power of words to persuade and to encourage and to heal and to bless. And on the other hand, words can do great harm and cause great destruction and stir up great pain. So words are powerful. Gratitude, thanksgiving is an act. It's something we do. It's an element of Christian stewardship. It's what we do after we say we believe. Tithing is a very simple concept, an ancient, profound, concrete, hands-on way for us as Christian folks to say thank you to a God who has blessed us and will bless us eternally and generously all the days of our life. How do we thank such a God? Exodus chapter 35, verses 20 through 29, story way back in the Old Testament about the tabernacle and how that was being assembled and put together. And Moses had gathered all the congregation of the people of Israel and was giving them instructions that he might pass on to them God's commandments as to how this tabernacle was to be built, what the specifications were, what the kind of materials they were to be using, all of those things he was sharing with them in that place at that time. It is to be built, he said, with the offerings of the people. Let whoever is of a generous, gracious heart share in this offering. Bring the Lord's offering. So the people scattered and they began to gather up gifts and resources and all that they had to bring back so that this place of worship that could be moved through the wilderness with the people might be constructed and put together. And they all became a part of that. They paid for that beautiful Structure and the vestments that the priest would wear as they presided in that place. All the Israelite men and women, all those whose hearts were, were right and generous, listened to Moses. It was a free will offering. There was no arm twisting or guilt or manipulation or fear, but just free will if you're grateful. And you remember they had just come out of Egypt. They'd come out of slavery. They were on their way to the promised land. They had obstacles before them and all around them, but they had so much for which to be grateful. And they were. And they gave generously. Some of you may remember back in the time when there were bumper stickers on almost every car. I don't see quite as many now. But I still see some vehicles that look like they're held together by bumper stickers. And... uh, But there was a bumper sticker that was popular a while back, and it said, Tithe if you love Jesus. Any fool can honk. Um, I sort of like that one. I never put one on my car, but I, I thought about it. Tithe if you love Jesus. There's a cartoon. It shows these two guys standing outside a church building on a Sunday morning, and they're dressed only in their boxer shorts. And one of them says to the other, That was the best sermon on giving I've ever heard. (laughs) Gratitude is giving. 
Giving is gratitude, and giving requires action. Tithing or, or giving, offering our gifts to God, is a powerful way for those of us who call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus to give thanks. It's just the best way I know of. I believe in, in my own life, and I practice tithing, and Mickey and I do, but I haven't always. I remember when I was beginning in ministry, and I felt like I need to preach about this and need to teach about it, but I'm not doing it. So we had a conversation at home, and the decision was made, yeah, going forward, this is it. This is what we do. And and God has been so good, and it's made such a difference. But when I practice tithing, I'm offering thanks to God for the gift of life. And there is something about this time of the year. I love the fall. If I had to pick a season for it to be year-round, this would be it. I love the crispness in the air and the changing of the leaves and just all the good things that go along with the fall season of the year. It's a marvelous time to be alive. But I also watch some weeks too much news. And it's constant, isn't it? Pick your station, pick your poison. It's out there all the time. And on our computer monitors and on our phones. And some of us, like in our house, we still read newspapers. And I read about all the brokenness and all the hurt and all the pain in the world. And hearing the the horror stories out of Pittsburgh last night. So much brokenness. But somehow in the midst of all the pain and all the brokenness, I believe that life is still well worth living, that it's a gift to be embraced, that every day comes from God and we offer it back to God and we we live it to the fullest. Life is more than just something to be endured while we're waiting to get on board that old gospel train and ride the rails to heaven. There's more to it than that. Sometimes we've been taught that Just overlook it all. You're on your way to glory land. But this life is a gift. There are no guarantees about longevity. So we take life by the slice. We take it one day at a time according to our teacher. We live with passion and compassion. Not knowing if this day will be our last or if it will be the first of thousands more. The gift of life has to do with creature comforts. I understand that. Don't mess with my thermostats and my recliner and my remote control and those kind of things. It makes life more bearable. But the gift of life has more than that, isn't it? More than the stuff and the things. It has to do with health. But is that all there is to it? I remember, like it was yesterday, sitting with Mr. Roy Garrett, who was a member of our Hopewell Church in Milledgeville, And Roy didn't have long to live, and he knew it. And he said to me, when you've lost your health, you've lost everything. And I don't know what kind of mood I was in that day. I don't know what overcame me. It was not good pastoral care technique or anything of that sort. But I turned to him and said, you still have your faith, don't you? Some people have lost their health and their faith. I didn't really have a right to say that to him. I was in good health, and I was much younger than he was, but I said it. We all know folks with physical, mental, emotional, 
limitations, who are more able than you and me most days to embrace and celebrate the gift of life, this lack of ability or disability or differing ability is so important because I believe that life can build a cage around us and imprison us only with our permission. I believe in and practice tithing because I'm grateful to God for family. My growing up family, my right now family, we had a four-year-old and a one-year-old in the house with us most of the day yesterday. We're still finding stuff and looking for stuff and uh, (laughs) putting stuff back together. But, oh, what a great day it was. How much life they brought into the place and how much joy the little ones bring. Grateful to God for family. And families come in all shapes and sizes and configurations. And those things change over the years. And those changes can be positive and they can be negative and Either way, they influence the shape of our memories. My family memories are overwhelmingly shaped by good days and good times and a sense of security and uh, blessed with the family from way back and blessed so much right now. And I believe in and I practice tithing and giving to God because I believe in and I'm grateful to God for the church. The church has that ability that no other organization or organism on the face of the earth has. The ability to help meet those deepest human hurts, respond to those greatest hopes, and feed our deepest hungers and longings. This is another story that, that I like to tell. It, it speaks to my heart. It was a year or two ago or even further back, so take that into consideration, but it's about a little boy who had everything. At least he thought he had everything. He had a big, beautiful house he lived in with two parents. He had all kinds of things in the garage, an all-terrain vehicle and go-karts and the latest and greatest bicycle. He had all those things. And he would occasionally go riding with his dad down, down by the beach. And they would spend the afternoons in the in the mall shopping. And sometimes that became a little frustrating for him because he had everything. Had a television, flat screen that covered almost one wall of his room. Had every latest and greatest electronic and technological gadget imaginable. Had an iPhone from the time he was a toddler. But things just weren't right. Something was, was missing. And there was another boy who lived in the house next door to his, a more modest house. And he didn't have nearly as many nice things. Had a small fenced-in backyard with a tire swing, if anybody remembers a tire swing from a, from a tree limb. And uh, in his room, he had a cage with his pet hamster. He had his baseball card collection and comic book collection. Had a dog named Rex that would roll over and play dead, not when you told it to, but when he wanted to. And on Saturdays, the the little boy next door would play catch with his dad in the backyard. In the afternoon, sometimes his mom would fix a picnic supper, and they would go out by the lake, and they'd go fishing, and they'd eat out there on the shore of the lake, and they had the best time. And on Sundays, they went to church. The boy who had everything 
was noticing about the guy next door. And he got to noticing about this church thing on Sunday and about how much he seemed to enjoy that. And he realized that this family next door, they, well, they dressed a little differently on Sunday than they did on, on Saturday when they were going to the lake. And the boy who had everything noticed. And he said to his parents, can we go to church sometime? And they said, oh, church is all right for some folks. It's just not something we need right now. One Sunday morning, the boy who had everything was playing up in his treehouse. I mentioned he had a treehouse that most folks would have considered adequate for their first house. And he was up in that treehouse, and he was looking over next door, and he saw this family come out and get in their car and head for the church. He knew the church building was not far away. So he hurried down. He got on his bicycle. He followed them to the church building a couple of blocks away. And they all got out and went in and they joined up with other folks and there were children everywhere and young folks and he thought that was great. And they went in the church and after the doors had closed, he walked up on the porch and he could hear the grand organ music from inside and he knew something was going on in there and he cracked the door open and slipped in and he saw a room, a big room, sort of like this with benches, he called them, and people sitting on the benches. And he went in and hid behind a post that was in the back that would help support the roof. And he listened and he paid attention. And the boy who had everything noticed what was going on in that place. And he noticed that there was a guy up front in a robe and he was reading from a leather-bound book. And then he talked for a while. And then there was something he thinks they called an offering where people came down with these gold-colored bowls and they passed them back and forth. And people seemed to be putting money in there. And then they brought that back up front. And then the guy in the robe walked over and he uncovered a table. And there was a, what looked like a vase there and a loaf of bread. And the man lifted the vase and he lifted the bread and he prayed and he invited people to come and eat and they did people came from all over the building they came and, and they ate and the boy was surprised that the people knelt down before they ate and watching all of this made him very hungry and he was secretly hoping they would offer him something too some bread or whatever was in that vase looking thing when everyone was finished the man in the robe stood up and he said, is there anyone else here who would like to come? And the boy stepped out from behind the post and he walked down front and he said, yes, I would like to come. May I have some? And the guy in the robe said, yes, of course. It's especially for you. And he knelt down and the man showed him how to take the bread and dip it in the vase or the chalice. And he ate it and he said it was the sweetest, most wonderful thing he had ever tasted in his whole life. And when he tasted that, he said something deep down inside of him began to change. And that hunger that he had tried to satisfy with all the stuff and everything else in his life, that hunger finally began to subside, to go away. He knew something was different. He couldn't pinpoint it. But he knew he wasn't hungry anymore. The hungers in this world are deep and sometimes beyond description. And people whose hungers go unsatisfied often end up doing incredibly 
horrible and terrible things. And I'm grateful for the church because we're trying, some days more than others, we are trying to make sure that the hungers, the deepest hungers, the longing for God in all of our hearts is satisfied in those folk in this community and in God's world. Keith Pohl once said, I'm grateful for what God and his people have done for me. I want to be an active participant in that enterprise, which is the church's business. I believe in and I practice tithing in my life and we practice it in our home because we're grateful to God for to use the Apostle Paul's words, we're grateful to God for God's indescribable gift. Even Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Jesus is the gift of a generous and a gracious-hearted God who loved this world so much that he gave. The same God who stirs our hearts to generosity and a gratitude. Tithing, giving our best, giving the first of all we have to God, it's a matter of trust, it's a matter of obedience, but above all else, it's a matter of gratitude. Amen.